Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. My name is Louisa and I am the host of your show, International Passion Ambassador. Thank you for being here and making us a part of whatever you're doing right now. I have a very exciting guest today. His name is Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll. Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll spent 25 years as an emergency physician in a major trauma center. For two decades, Dr. O'Driscoll refused to speak about his experiences. He frequently communicated with souls who hovered between this life and the next. He saw people leave their bodies at the time of death and communicated with them. Their messages were always of love and hope. Dr. O'Driscoll, otherworldly communications began in childhood shortly after the farm accident that took the life of his older brother. Dr. O'Driscoll received his MD from the University of Utah School of Medicine. He is a board certified in internal medicine and is a fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians. He practiced emergency medicine at a level one trauma center, teaching students and residents for 25 years and served as chairman of the department for eight years receiving awards and publishing articles about service quality in the emergency department. After stepping away from clinical medicine, Dr. O'Driscoll published his compelling memoir, Not Yet, and stepped into his practice as an intuitive mentor, connecting each client to their highest self and their most authentic life path. This is his story and this is his passion. Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, welcome to Passion Harvest. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you. It's a pleasure. I guess I always like to start for those people, I mean, many do, but those people that don't know you, um, if you don't mind just giving a bit of a background about your life and some pivotal moments that led you to where you are today, here sitting talking to me. I grew up in a farming community, uh, sometimes hauling hay, sometimes helping to milk the cows. Uh, I had a horse all the time I was growing up, and my dream was to be a professional bull rider. I, I liked to rodeo when I was a kid. A, a bull and, rider, okay. Yes. Um, one of the things I swore I'd never do when I grew up was uh, go to college. And uh, somehow I made one wrong turn, and 10 years later I was a physician. So you have to be careful about what you predict. Well, that's not um, such a bad trajectory to go down, I guess. No, not a bad trajectory, just <laughs> unexpected. Um, uh, as you mentioned, my, my, I had an older brother. I have two older brothers. One of them still alive. He's about a year older than I am. And then uh, my brother Stan was a few years older than that. And uh, he, we used to do a lot of fun things together. He was kind of a wild spirit. And uh, uh, we'd ride horses together and... Uh, uh, one day uh, he was uh, working on another ranch in the other end of the county and uh, tipped over a tractor and lost his life. Uh, and, and then about 20 years later, uh, my brother came to me in a, in a very powerful way. And he told me, uh, you have to go speak to our mother because there's things she's never told you about my death. And that kind of got my attention. <laughs> I just got goosebumps. So, yeah. 
So I, I called up my mother, who still lives in the same house. My parents are still alive. And I went and visited with her. My father was out of town, so but just the two of us visited. And uh, uh, I asked her some questions. And it was that day for the first time she told me, before your brother died, I always knew where you were in the house because I could hear you singing. And when Stan died, you stopped singing. Oh. And that was, the that was the day I realized that my older brother's death actually had a, a really profound impact on me. It changed the trajectory of my life. Um, when I was still a teenager, a few years after he died, I was driving a car one night, much too fast on a windy country road after dark, had two friends in the car, and a voice spoke to me and said, you need to slow down. And it, the voice, it was more than a voice. It was like the message just wrapped itself around my soul and kind of grabbed me up my lapels, if you will, and said, you have to listen. And I slowed down. I went around the corner and hit a car head on. There was a lot of damage, but nobody was injured. And I think that night, if I hadn't listened to that voice, I might well have died. And it wasn't until much later I realized the voice was my brother speaking to me. So he's come periodically over the last uh, 40 plus years and uh, continues to teach me and lead me and give me insights. That's lovely. And do you always listen to, do you always listen to the advice? Uh, usually. <laughs> sometimes I argue with it. Uh, sometimes I don't like it. Uh, um, I remember one time, a lot of people come to me, as you mentioned, I do spiritual mentoring. And I try to help people connect with their higher self, with their spiritual gifts, so that they can get their own messages. I recognize and I respect mediums for what they do. But when people come to me, I actually try to help them realize their own latent gifts so that they can ask their questions and get their answers without needing someone else to, to help them. And... Uh, one of the tools I give to a lot of people when they tell me that they don't feel like they've had a spiritual experience in their life or they don't know how to develop it, I'll give them an assignment. Uh, I'll say, when you're doing whatever you do in the morning to get ready for your day, when you're centering spiritually, whether it's prayer or meditation, whatever it is you do, ask this one simple question. What can I do today to serve someone else? And I promise you, you will get an answer. It might be someone's name coming into your mind. You might see a flash of someone's face. You might have an inclination to go and help somebody or send them a text message or give them a call. And if you accept that message and you honor it and you, and you actually respond to it, you'll grow into it over time until it becomes a part of your life and you do it more frequently, more, more consistently. And so I try to help people develop those gifts. I love that. And I'd love to talk about um, how you develop gifts in a moment. But it's, it, I guess it's like anything. The more you practice to listen to that voice or the messages, however, however they might be received, you'll receive other messages as well. Yes, I agree with you entirely. People are very comfortable with this idea of being born with a gift, a gift of music, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, you can be a prodigy but you still have to practice 40,000 hours to play the piano with the, with the orchestra at the concert hall. Yes. Uh, just because you have a gift doesn't mean that you have a perfected talent. 
But when people start thinking about spiritual gifts, they're inclined to think of them as something that comes upon you perfected and ready to be exercised without any effort on your part. And that's not the way it works. You have to start small, work up, be consistent, and grow into it. Well, it does happen sometimes, but at the same time, we live in an instantaneous world where we want it all now. Me as well. Yeah, um, me <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't always come straight away. So like you asked me, uh, um, do I always listen? I, I remember one time I was getting ready for the day and I asked my question and the message came, be kind. And I thought, oh, that's, that's, oh, come on, you can do better than that, right? Yeah. I want something big. Yeah. And, uh, but the message was very clear. Those two words, be kind. Here's, here's, the, here's the rub. I was putting my uh, five children in the car with my wife and we were going on a road trip on a vacation. And anybody who has kids who have traveled in a car knows how uh, chaotic that can be, how difficult it Challenging. can be. Challenging. Yes. <laughs> and as the day's going on, I'm trying to let it roll off my back and I'm repeating these words in my mind, be kind, be kind. <laughs> and and uh, we got through the day. I was writing in my journal at the end of the day. And I remember thinking, wouldn't it have been sad if I'd have spent all this time and effort to give my children a wonderful memory and the one thing that they remembered was dad lost his temper and yelled at us. And I was so grateful at the end of the day for those two words which seemed so simple at the beginning of the day. I realized how divine the message was and how timely it was. I love that. That's beautiful. So I'd also like to start back at your, t your, your time working as a doctor in the emergency department and how it came to pass that you see the souls of people that were leaving. Um, as I said earlier, it kind of gradually grew on me over mm -hmm. a period of 20 plus years or so. Um, until it started out with voices and messages, and then it kind of grew into seeing things. And uh, so the, by the time I was in the emergency department, it wasn't uncommon for me to have an experience where I would see or hear. And I use those words kind of loosely because it's uh, very different than seeing or hearing with your physical <laughs> eyes. But I'll give you one example. Um, I, I was at work, it was 23 years ago, and a gentleman that was about my age uh, was involved in a car crash a couple hundred miles from my hospital. He rolled his vehicle over. He thinks he fell asleep. He doesn't remember for sure. And the crash took the life of his wife of 10 years and his 14-month-old son. Oh. His seven-year-old seven son survived without injury. And this, this gentleman was very badly injured himself. Um, he was flown to my hospital. And when I went into the trauma room, he was unconscious on the gurney and there was a team of providers taking care of him and his recently deceased wife was standing above the gurney in the air observing his care. And she expressed her profound gratitude for me to, to me for the care that he was receiving. Um, and people ask me what this is like. And, and one way I describe it is it, it was as if the whole room got silent, like some, like you're watching the telly and somebody turns the sound off. Um, everybody else in the room was still talking and listening to each other. They were providing his care. I had no responsibility at all for his medical care. But for me, the whole room went silent. 
And I walked over and I looked down at this man's uh, leg and I checked the pulse in his leg. I saw the injury and I remember thinking or maybe even saying out loud, oh, he's going to lose the leg. I just knew that. Yeah. And as I looked down at him, I could still see his wife standing in the air behind me because I could see in all directions at the same time. And time just kind of slowed down and there's a, there's this profound flow of knowledge where you have this understanding of things in a clearer way than you ever did before. And, and, and your priorities all, your priorities all re uh, shuffle uh, and, and forget about the things of the world and you understand things which are much bigger. And so I had this experience, uh, as I said, 23 years ago, and he was unconscious at the time. A month later, I met him again after he'd had some surgeries and he was conscious. And it was at that time I learned that before they'd ever even extricated his body from the car, he'd left his body and had a communication with his wife who told him, you have to go back and raise our other son. So he and I are still good friends today. His name's Jeff Olson. We speak together often, actually. Another Jeff. What a beautiful experience. And and I guess with the medical profession, you couldn't really talk to anyone about these experiences. Well, you had to be very selective. I, had, I, I felt like I was very reserved about it for several reasons. Sometimes I felt like maybe it was a little bit too sacred to talk about. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I felt like guys, my professional reputation, um, it just didn't feel right to talk about it. And it wasn't until about six months after I stopped seeing patients that something kind of clicked and all of a sudden it felt like it was okay to talk about it. And that's when I started to share some of my experiences. And I guess it was well received by people that you told? Uh, A lot of people, yes. I haven't had long conversations with a lot of my former colleagues that uh, uh, physicians and nurses. Um, there was one nurse in the department that had similar experiences to mine. And in fact, the night that Jeff Olson was brought in by uh, airplane, uh, she came and grabbed me. I was not even going to go into the trauma room. And she'd been in there and she'd, she'd seen his wife already. And she came and grabbed me by the arm and said, you have to come to the trauma room. And she was the one that came to me a month later and insisted that I go see Jeff in his hospital room uh, I was I, I had never expected to see him again, but she was insistent, and now we're still good friends today. So, I mean, it's, it's incredibly interesting, and I love it how you sort of talk about how time, time, well, there is no time, but time sort of morphs and time stops, and you've just got this cellular focus. People are always interested about souls and how to talk to souls, and I know you touched on it, but can you describe, so what's the difference between talking to a soul and talking to a personality? Is there a big difference between the personality and the soul? Um, This is one way I try to explain it to people. As a physician, as a scientist, I view sight in a scientific way. It starts with light bouncing off of objects and generating electromagnetic waves, which come through my lens and cornea and get focused on the retina, where the rods and cones convert it to an electrical signal that travels down the optic nerve, crossing over at the chiasm, going to the occipital cortex, which generates an image. And that's how we see. When I see spiritually, it bypasses all of those steps. And I just get the complete full image without having to 
be subjected to all of those limitations. And so it's a more pure thing. It's a, it's a, it's a more clear communication. You don't just hear a voice. It's the voice embeds itself into your soul. It wraps around your heart and says, this is real. You know this already. It feels like you're remembering something more than learning something new. I mean, I have had similar experiences and it's almost like a, it's just a knowing. It's just there. It's yeah. a what is. I call it a what isness. <laughs> yes. In fact, I, uh, it was impressed upon me a long time ago in a very profound way. Teach people the truth in such a way as to help them realize they've always known it. Mm. And so when I meet with clients, I meet with them where they're at. I validate their journey that they are on and the experiences that they've had. And then I share with them some tools that they can go forward. And I love it when they say something like, Oh, I get it now. That makes so much sense. Yes. That I, I, I remember that now. And, and then I know that, that it's connected with their soul and they're getting it from a, from a genuine authentic place. I love that. And that directly relates to the show, which is about passion and, I always talk about passion or there's many names for it, but it's your emotional guidance system, giving you those little hints on the path of life, how it yeah. feels. I think it's so important. After I stopped seeing patients, I was sitting one day uh, trying to uh, re-navigate where I was going to, to, to get right to the essence of the why in mm. my life, right? And I was looking at a business card, one of my business cards, and I think on the card it said, author, artist, physician, I think is what it said, because I paint and sculpt as, as well as write. And I remember having this feeling, no, those are just parts of you. That's just, those are just elements of you. And I was given uh, my personal mission statement. I exist to help souls heal. And that's what's on my business cards now. That's what's on my website, on my Facebook page. Uh, that's, my, that's my why. I exist to help souls heal. That's why I'm here. Beautiful. That's, that's, that's lovely. I just want to ask, and I'd love to move on to your, your coaching and your mentoring. Talking about death, what, are you afraid of death? And what happens when we die, in your opinion? No, I have no fear of death whatsoever. In fact, my struggle when a loved one or a friend uh, dies, when I go to a funeral, my struggle is managing the envy of the person in the casket. Really? I look forward to the transition. Uh, I've had enough experience with souls on the other side. I've seen through the veil enough times that I, I... understand it as a place of love and acceptance uh, of pure joy and I can't wait for that. In my mind, uh, death is simply a transition from a mortal form uh, back to a more uh, spiritual form. In fact, what most people call near-death experiences, in my book I call near-life experiences. Because invariably, the people that have these experiences afterwards say that during that period of time, they were closer to their authentic, genuine self than at any other time in their existence. They were nearer their spiritual fullness, their spiritual life, 
than at any other time during their mortal existence. And so I call them near life experiences rather than near death experiences. That's a great way to look at it. <laughs> and on a final note, I get, you probably get this question all the time and I do myself as well. Why do, if, if, if it's so beautiful over there or there, why do we have to come back to this humanness, this life filled with sometimes contrast and conflict and suffering? Uh, yeah, that's the purpose of the life is the, the, con the conflicts, the contrasts and the suffering. Um, I believe we've always existed, uh, uh, that we were spiritual beings before we ever entered this realm mm -hmm. and that we'll resume our spiritual existence when we lay aside this physical form. And there were things for us to experience. We, we wanted this experience. We asked for this experience and is what I I believe when we when we lived in a pre-earth realm we realized we were divine beings that we were all one that we were alike that there was there was no judgment and it's easy to love other people when you see them that way it's easy to love yourself when you can see yourself that way the point of coming into this existence was to see if we could learn to love ourselves when we couldn't view our own divine nature, to see if we could love other people when their divinity wasn't so profound and obvious to us. Can we learn to love everyone the same way, no matter what? Mm. And that, that is a challenge. It is a challenge. One thing that helped me with it, one day I was in the emergency department and I walked into a room to take care of a patient. He was uh, probably about 50, 55. He looked 10 years older than that because he was a homeless gentleman and he had a rough life. He struggled with addictions. He had long, uncut hair. He had a scraggly beard. Uh, his clothes were soiled and, and torn. He had holes in his shoes and his socks. And it was uh, getting in the winter season. He'd been walking around in cold, wet shoes and socks. He and I were the only two people in the room. I walked over to the sink and I filled a basin with warm water and put some soap in it and grabbed a wash rag and I sat down at the foot of the gurney and I took off his shoes and the last threads of his socks and I lowered his feet into the water and I washed his feet. And everything that was earthly or temporal or physical was swept aside and I saw who he was. I saw his divine nature. And I think I wrote in my book that I was in the presence of God. That's how I felt then. That's how I feel now reflecting on it. I went into the room thinking I was going to help him. And I realized when I left that he was there to minister to me. He was the antithesis of everything the world defines as success. And yet he was a divine being there to teach me something. And I viewed every soul differently since that day. You are sitting next to divinity, whether you're sitting in church or sitting in the gutter. That was so beautiful. I almost felt like crying. What a, what a touching tale. It was very beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I also wanted to ask, um, what's your opinion on, I hear it a lot, soul family. What, what do you think about soul family? Do we come together back into this humanist as a soul family collective? Or do we meet people that aren't part of our soul family? 
I think that there's definitely a soul family, but I'm not certain what it looks like or what it consists of. Mm -hmm. I think it may include some of our blood relatives. I think it may include some of those people that we meet and we feel like we've always been related to or that yeah. we've always known. Um, I think we will have a familiarity with souls in the next in the next life that will recognize one another and that we will choose to uh, to have a societal uh, relationships and I'm not exactly sure what those look like but yes I believe in a soul family yeah it's very interesting just when you were saying that I was thinking you know you could be at a, a party or an event and there's one person that you are um, energetically attracted to or just feel like you've always known them and, and it's very familiar it's that sort of feeling I guess Yes, and I won't be surprised if I find out someday that I have always known them, that I knew them long before I was born. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you for answering that. And now I'd love, I'd love to move on to the incredible work you do and hear a little bit more about it. When I, six months after I had that experience mm -hmm. where I felt like it was okay to share, I started to share with very small trusted groups of people and I was going to my first formal speaking engagement um, in, near Boston. In, Were you uh, nervous? Uh, a little bit. Uh, I mean, I'd done a lot of speaking before. Okay. I'd spoken to medical groups and other organizations. So the speaking didn't bother me, but the subject matter was different. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I, I, I had, six months after I, I started to share, I had my book written. And I had a stack of books in my suitcase and I went to the airport. I was sitting in the airport and this young couple came and sat down next to me in the lounge. And this woman started to ask me about where I was going, what I was doing, the usual airport questions. And when she found out what I was going to be speaking about, her whole expression changed. And she said, my grandfather just died and he's come to me a couple of times. Oh. And my first thought was, why would you share something so intimate and personal with a total stranger? And then I realized, oh, I'm a safe place for her. She knows I'll believe her. Right. And so she took one of my books and went and caught her plane. Um, I went to catch my plane a little bit later. I'd been a physician by, for 25 years by then. I estimated I'd seen in excess of 60,000 patients. On the plane to Boston, that voice that sometimes speaks to my soul spoke to me and said, you will help more people with this book than you helped as a physician in the emergency department. I thought, oh, that's what I'm doing now. And, and when I started, when people wanted to meet with me and talk with me about the book, yeah. I found that I frequently could discern their spiritual gifts. And I frequently was given the answers to their questions. I, they'd be talking about something and it would just be given to me what they needed. And so I started to step into that cautiously at first. And, and now I do it quite a lot. I have uh, clients around the world uh, that I do it with uh, Zoom technology or other things. Uh, I love to do it in person, but I help people find their answers and I help them realize their own gifts. And I give them the tools of how to ask the questions and get the answers that they need. And obviously, you know, you've practiced, but this voice, can you turn it off? So, I mean, every person you meet, are you getting, receiving answers all the time? No. 
Um, I can turn it off. A few years ago, I felt overwhelmed, quite a few years ago, I felt overwhelmed with everything that was coming and being asked of me and stuff, and I shut it off entirely. And I I didn't experience it for quite a long time because I intentionally shut it off. Uh, Now I've learned to have a little bit more control. you don't have to surrender your life to these things. At the end of the day, you thank your last customer and you turn the sign and says, okay, I'm closed now, right? Yeah. Um, you can do that with spiritual things too. You can say, look, I'm open to this at these times and uh, I have these other times that are for me. Um, so you have to learn how to manage it. And I've learned that slowly and sometimes painfully. And And the voice that you feel is your brother is it always your brother or is it other oh no it's just my brother it's my brother infrequently actually Uh, quite often when i'm meeting with a client and they're discussing issues and stuff quite often it's a deceased loved one of the client that is speaking to me um and and i can't always predict uh one time i was uh, 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 uh somebody came to me and gave me a message for a friend of mine and I said, whoa, wait a minute. Why, why, why don't you just go give the message yourself to, mm-hmm. to him? And, and, the, and the messenger said, because he won't receive it from me. Yeah. And he explained to me that he was this guy's brother. I didn't even know the guy had a brother. So I was really, this was, this was quite a few years ago. I was really timid and cautious about it. I, I met with this guy a couple of days later and I said, do you have any brothers? <laughs> Because I was reluctant to be so bold. And he started, he said, yeah. And he started listing off several of his brothers. And then he mentioned that he had one that's dead. And I said, you have a dead brother? He goes, yeah. I said, you know, I had this very interesting experience. And I shared this message that I, that had come to me. I didn't exactly tell him where it was coming from, but I shared this message. And he looked at me, goes, that's my brother. I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, well, why didn't he just come tell you? And my friend said, oh, I wouldn't have received that from him. <laughs> so I guess sometimes, you know, it's just like in, in mortal life. Uh, sometimes we talk to certain people and others we don't talk to and we send messages through others. And uh, I think of the people on the other side of this veil, if you want to call it a veil, as simply being disembodied human beings. They're the same people. They're the same souls. They just don't happen to be in their body right now. Mm. And I think going back to the messages you're receiving, uh, sometimes people are not even not open, aren't, don't have that sort of frequency to receive the messages. Right. Yes. I almost I mean, liken it to, you know, in the olden days with a handheld telephone and you could pick up the phone and uh, the message isn't for you, but you're on the, you happen to be connecting to the line where they're talking. That's right. what I kind of liken it to. And you know the message isn't for you to give it to them because they're not listening. Yes. In <laughs> fact, uh, when I was a kid, we had a party line telephone. I think there was like eight other parties on the line. Right. And, and you could tell by the way the phone rang whether it was for you or not. And, and if you were a bit naughty, sometimes you'd listen in on somebody else's call. We all did, right? <laughs> you weren't supposed to. So I get what you're saying, yes. <laughs> um, with your... Uh, incredible coaching do you so you also talk to as you said deceased loved ones or the souls of the person could it could could you be accessing your own soul or your higher consciousness to provide them the messages 
Absolutely. Um, when people struggle with this, I ask, some people really struggle and they say, I don't know whether I'm listening to a divine voice or to my own voice. Mm, and, and I coach them and I help them. I say, listen, if you, if you struggle with this and you work at it and you conclude that the voice you're hearing is your own, it's still divine. Honor it. Follow it. I love that. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I love that because I think, and you know, all the guests on the show or people that I speak to about your intuitive spiritual gifts, it's about trusting yourself. It's very hard at first thinking, no, this is just me going crazy or it's a, you know, random voice, but it is about trusting that the guidance that you're receiving. Right. And that's why the practice is so important because often you start out with these little things that you can trust. And if they go wrong, it's not a big deal. So you, you practice it until you see that they go right for a while. And then you start to have a little bit more confidence in it. And then as things get bigger and more important, you have the trust that you, you need to go forward and to trust that message that you get. And I think it's wonderful as well, because I always say that we really are our own best teacher or our healer, that you're providing um, people their own resources and tools to move forward and trusting themselves. You know, I grew up, in a Christian tradition. And a lot of my clients, uh, I have clients of all different uh, traditions, faith systems, uh, atheists, everything. It doesn't matter to me. Um, but a lot of my Christian clients, I point them to Christ because they resonate with that yeah. message. And I think it's very interesting that Christ said that he was the light of the world. And shortly after that, he's giving this Sermon on the Mount and he tells his listeners, you are the light of the world. And people need to, to realize that. They need to step into that and trust it. In fact, I take some of my clients through a brief guided meditation or a guided imagery to help them recognize that they are the light uh, and they can trust themselves. That's lovely. Beautiful. Well, I'm just wondering if I, you can see any <laughs> people around me with questions that I need to be told. Uh, not at present. Uh, okay. um, perhaps uh, we could have another chat sometime uh, and, and talk about things that might lead to that. But I never feel like I'm kind of drawn in that way, the mm -hmm. way I see a lot of mediums and psychics work. Uh, it, to, for me, it's often a much more intimate, personal thing. It, it's often an hour into a conversation with the client, and they'll say something, and they'll kind of like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Yeah, please. Um, I went to lunch with a friend of mine. I wasn't, she wasn't my client. We weren't going to do any session, really, or anything. We were just having lunch. And she's a woman who... Uh, thought she'd left behind all the insecurities that go with an abusive decades-long marriage. She'd built a business from nothing and sold it for uh, much, much more than her ex-husband could have ever imagined. Uh, she climbed Kilimanjaro at age 65, and she's accomplished all these wonderful things. And she's working with a coach that she's paying $1,000 a week for a one-hour phone call. Mm -hmm. And she told me about all the rationalizations she was giving her coach about why she couldn't seemed to get her book written. Everything else seemed to be uh, uh, crowding in her time that was upsetting her book writing. 
And as she spoke, I just got this download. And I looked at her and I said, why isn't writing your book your passion? And she stopped for a minute. She got really quiet and she had on this necklace that had these two jewels that she wrapped her hand around. They're kind of like a talisman. And she was, and I started to say something and she motioned me to stop. And she just sat there in silence for a moment and she started to cry. And she looked up at me and she said, because I'm afraid it won't be good enough. And then she said, I thought I was past that. I love that. And I said, now you'll be able to write your book and it will be your first priority and you'll have to push other things out of your life to, because you won't have time for them. She called me a few weeks later and she was finished writing the first draft of her book. So that's kind of how I work. I talk with people and as they uh, disclose things that they're struggling with, the answers seem to just come to me and, I, and I, I'm given what to say. Well, even more bizarre that there's many parallels with my life that you just spoke about with that woman. <laughs> Very many, including the book as well. <laughs> well, if you're, interested in if you're interested in interviewing her, I can connect you. Yeah, it was just interesting. Very, very similar. Hmm. I'm thinking about you know, that well, now. We're, we're all much more similar than we think we are. We're all struggling through the pain and the difficulty. And what we don't realize is that it's the pain that makes us all alike. Empathy makes us one. And when we start to realize our own individual brand of pain is not special or different from somebody else's, when we develop that empathy with other souls and become one with them, then we stop judging them. Then there's just love. Beautiful. What, what a great conversation. In the interest of time, is there something you'd like to talk to the Passion Harvest audience about? With me not asking all the questions. I'll share with you one message that I think is really important. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I was getting ready to speak to a large group. And I take this very seriously. I try to get centered and I seek a message. And I was pleading for a message. And it came very clearly, very directly, a three-part message. The voice that spoke to me said, tell them they're enough. Tell them they're divine. Tell them they're loved. That was the message. And it, it was very well received. Uh, shortly after giving that talk, I was speaking with somebody who makes their living internationally speaking and makes a lot of money doing it. And I said something or asked something that he must have thought I was asking for free advice because he launched into this canned speech about how you have to prepare a talk and what it needs to be and how you have to select your audience and, and, and refine your message to your audience. That was the thing. You have to refine your message to your audience. A couple days later, I was going to meet with a client. And on the way to meet with this client, I was thinking about what this guy had said about the, refining my message. And I remember thinking in my mind, how am I going to refine my message for the audience? And the voice that had spoken to me uh, uh, several days before came back to me and said, I gave you the message. I'll bring you the audience. I thought, okay, I got it. So you are enough. You are divine. You are loved. Remember that. That's perfect. That's perfect. And I usually, I mean, I think you've already answered my questions 
I always ask guests on the show, if someone wants to follow or find their passion, what is your advice? But I think you've just answered it. Yeah. Find out who you are. Follow that. Yeah, lovely. Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. I'm going to re-listen to this episode. There's been so many beautiful stories and talks. So I really appreciate your openness and honesty. It's been a delight. I hope I get to uh, Sydney sometime to yes. meet you in person. I'd, I'd love to meet you in person. That'd be great. I have, I have clients in Sydney, on the Gold Coast, in Queensland. Uh, can't remember where else. Uh, so, yeah. Good. Hope well, I get there someday. I very much hope to meet with you in person one day. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Been a pleasure. Bye, Jeff. Bye-bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.